because I got a couple of different announcements I want to add to the things that have been shared just real quickly previously. Um, first of all, if you're a visitor with us today, we want to welcome you to First Assembly. Amen? Amen. We appreciate so much that you're in service. You've chosen uh, to come and worship with us today. There should be a card in the seat in front of you, and uh, if you'll fill that out, you can turn that in. There's a table out in the foyer that's appropriately called the Connect Table, and there'll be a handsome couple there waiting on you today. You can turn that in, and if you have any questions, they'll do their very best to answer those questions for you. So we do greatly appreciate you being in service with us today. I also want to welcome back home this morning, Phil and April and Alex and Liza Grace here back here with us today, all the way from Arkadelphia, longtime members. Uh, Phil came to First Assembly the same year, I believe, that Sister Sherry and I did, 2003, I believe, and they uh, moved off on us a little while, but they're here in spirit, even when they're not here physically, and we are grateful that they are in service with us today. They are en route to Branson. That's a great stopping point, Heber Springs en route to Branson. So I don't necessarily know that this is on the direct route, but they kind of took a detour to uh, meet us here today. A um, couple of, one additional announcement, I do want to make this. We'll have a flyer, or I don't know if it's a flyer, I guess it's not a flyer, it's called a screen. What's it called? What do we call these now that we're making? Slide, that's it, a slide, all right, gotcha. A lot of changes, you know, in the church over the years, and so, um, so a slide for next week, but if you've been with us for the last several weeks, you know that I kind of went into Pentecost Sunday, kind of teaching, ministering related to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Do y'all care if I change glasses for a minute? I fool you sometimes here, but I can't see you with those reading glasses, but now I can see you, and I want to make sure that I'm, nobody's preparing to throw anything at me here today. Um, before I make this last announcement, because I will say this, I'm a little bit sore today, so there was an accident, I had an accident in a church van on Thursday, and it wasn't a, a hard accident, but it did cause my head to pop back because I was hit behind coming back home uh, with the food from the food pantry. And there's a little bit of an irony to it I just thought I'd share with you. That has nothing to do with the sermon today, but I thought I'd share it with you real quickly. So I was coming back at Highway 589 Junction there, uh, north of Cabot, making my way back to Heber, and pulling the church uh, trailer that I uh, picked up the food. And as you cleared the red light there, the traffic began to back up over the hill. And so it was backed up. And so you project, my, my thought was, well, there's either an accident or I thought that they might have been doing some work there. So I stopped and there was nothing, you know, but then a cars moved up in front of me, a couple of, uh, you know, cars from there. And, and so I pulled up, eased up, and then stopped again. And when I stopped again, I, boom, you know, right there. And so, I, you know, it takes a second for your mind to know what took place. And so what happened is the gentleman that was behind me, when I had pulled up uh, the second time, he wasn't expecting me to stop again. And I guess because of the van and everything, he couldn't quite see as well. But what actually happened, and I told him it was going to make it into one of my sermons, is that, <laughs> it's kind of funny, I hate to say it, no one was injured other than just the pullback on my neck a little bit. Um, <laughs> he had pulled his phone out and was looking at eye traffic to see if there was an accident in front of him. <laughs> when there was an accident in front of him. So there's, uh, there's something there. I don't know, we might need the gift of interpretation to interpret that, but... There is just something there related to that, that accident. And uh, <laughs> so, nonetheless, very quickly. Also, one last thing. I'll just go ahead and put this out now today. So, 
Sister Sherry and I, yesterday for the first time, we had slowly moved all that accumulated exercise equipment that had become nothing more than a clothes hanger. Right? That's if you don't have a place to hang your clothes, buy a piece of exercise equipment. Because eventually, and once that first garment goes across it, that's where it belongs. So we have, we have about a month ago, we put it all together, and we were going to start working out. And so finally yesterday, I said, Sister Sherry, we have got to start. We're never going to, it's never going to happen if we don't just make it happen. So we made it happen yesterday. And so if you see me when I pick this Bible up today, right there, it may not be the Spirit of the Lord that's causing me to tremble very quickly. Just so you'll know that. I just had to get that out of the way. But with this, I do want to share with you something that's going to be coming to our church here within just three short weeks that I believe is the cumulative uh, uh, effort of prayer and just God's uh, ordained timing. As I've been teaching about the Holy Spirit, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and, and, and I, a part of my sermon, I'm going to share with you a little bit of what happens when there is some disappointment that you don't see some of the response that you hope for, uh, for, the, for the good of the people of God. And I was praying with this, and, and there's a, a gentleman that, that Brother uh, Billy Adams had, had told me about about a year and a half ago. He's an aged minister. He wrote a book about how to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and he's an evangelist. And I'd followed him from afar, but I wasn't really quite ready to, to invite him. But I was just praying, and I just said, you know, I just, uh, this past week, I said, I, I do believe that we could be aided by the ministry gift of an evangelist. And so I went ahead and picked up the phone. I called Brother Doyle Jones. He's in his 70s now, and uh, he's, a, a, he's got a doctorate degree. He taught at um, uh, Watsahatchee, uh, which is Southwestern Assemblies of God Bible School. But primarily, he's a missionary evangelist. And so but if you don't know really what a missionary evangelist is, a missionary evangelist is one that goes into the mission field, not as a missionary to be in one location, but goes into the mission field to be an evangelist to aid the missionaries that are in the field and so he'll go from place to place to place and if you go onto their website or go onto their Facebook you'll see that brother Doyle um, even to this day when he gets the opportunity might speak in front of thousands of people on the mission field preaching Pentecostalism preaching the doctrine of faith preaching and and kind of a link kind of a link to the spiritual heritage that is of the assemblies of God and, and I really, and I got him on the phone, and my spirit just immediately bore witness with his spirit. And he said, he said, he said I'm going to be honest, he was in a Church of God convention, left the service to take my phone call. And so when I was on the phone with him, and, and just briefly there, he said, Pastor, he said, it may be too soon for you. He said, but I had a pastor this week cancel me, and he said, I've got July the 2nd open. So that's three weeks uh, from us today, and it, it's in per I believe it's in perfect timing. He's going to be here for Sunday morning and Sunday night on July the 2nd. If you're wondering, the fireworks in Heber Springs are July the 1st. Then the fireworks at First Assembly will be July the 2nd. Mom, but he's going to help us. So here's this part of a little bit of his testimony, just real quickly. This is, me, this is my belief system. I believe that God gives certain people spiritual gift of faith to aid others in receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's not all of his ministry, but it's a part of his ministry. But on his Facebook page, he shared just a, an experience recently, like two months ago, at a church that he was ministering at in Texas. He said, as I was, he took a picture, there was two gentlemen, two young uh, men on either side of him, much taller than him. 
He said, while I was ministering to people, he said, I looked up and these two young men, one uh, was coming to help me minister. Like, you know, I don't know if it was catchers or what. There's a lot that goes on Pentecostalism. But to help minister, maybe just to help facilitate the crowd. He said, while, we were, while I was ministering and they were with me, I stopped and I asked them both. I said, have you received the baptism in the Holy Spirit? And both of them replied, No. He said, I stopped, I laid hands on them and prayed for God to fill them with the Holy Spirit and they immediately began to speak in other tongues. So that, that was again just a, not, Doyle Jones can fill no one with the Spirit of God. Right? Jesus, come on somebody. But God has tempered the body together in such a way. So I just believe that God ordered this for us to help us to, to receive spiritual gifts among us. Come on, somebody. And if you're looking for flashy, you're looking in the wrong place. You need to see JoJo when he's all blinged out when he's headed to school. That's flashy. Right, Joe? It is to me. Look at me right here. Brother Doyle is not flashy at all. There's no flash in him at all. Let me just say it that way. But what you have is consistent faith, proven results. Come on, somebody. So I'm telling you in advance, you can go online, you can do the infamous Google search, you can check out Facebook, and you can just see and read a few of the testimonies. But what I want to encourage you to do is begin to pray. Well, one, Alicia's going to pray with me. Come on, somebody. Begin to pray that this is a divine appointment for our church family. So let me go back real quickly, because this is where I'm at in this subject matter for just a little while. One of the things that affirmed that I needed to make that call that day is I was preparing my heart Friday morning for today, which is what I do every week. Friday morning is my time to be alone with God, praying over my, my sermon. And, and also dealing with a little bit of the frustration that you deal with as a pastor when, 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 when we don't quite see some of the results that you hope for, that you long for. And I was reminded very quickly again of Acts chapter number 8. We've talked about it. It's not my subject matter today. This is just a lead-in to the sermon today. But Stephen, or excuse me, Philip the Evangelist had gone to Samaria, if you all know that story. He was at Samaria. And he preached the gospel, which is mentioned from our pulpit a few moments ago. He preached the gospel, which means he preached Christ crucified to the Samaritans. And the Bible says that many responded and, were, and believed and were water baptized. And, listen to this, many were healed, devils were cast out, and there, were, there was great joy in that city. Come on, somebody. That sounds exciting, doesn't it? I mean, just think about that. Many are healed. How many know that's the supernatural power of God? Demons are cast out. Jesus said, if I cast out devils, I do it by the Spirit of God. So we have supernatural signs and wonders. Remember what Jesus said in Mark 16? And these signs shall follow them that believe. So Philip is actually seeing the exact signs that were prophesied of Jesus in Mark chapter 16. However, Luke records for us that when word came to Jerusalem that the Samaritans had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John, the two apostles, that had ran to the temple or to the tomb on the day of Jesus' resurrection to look in. They're now being sent to Samaria for this singular purpose, singular purpose, to pray for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because as of yet, Scripture says, King James English, as of yet he was fallen upon none of them. So if you take a moment and you look back at it, 
you can put a question mark and say, why was an evangelist who was filled with the Spirit himself, able to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, able to cast out devils, and able to preach the gospel and lead many in the city to Christ, and yet the Holy Spirit was not falling upon any of those converted. So there's a question that could come into your mind. But you can answer that, but you have to accept it. It frustrates you because it's frustrated me. You have to accept what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. God has tempered the body. He's tempered the body in such a way that as he sees fit, and he's given gifts to men, spiritual gifts and callings. And so in his sovereignty, in God's sovereignty, he chose at that moment to use Peter and John rather than Philip to help lead that group of men and women to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm saying all that to say this, that this should not and never should be a one-man show, right? It's the body being yielded to the body and spiritual gifts flowing through the individuals that's God chosen for that particular moment. Amen? And so I want to ask you and encourage you to pray for the Lord to do a great work among us. All right, so now let's turn to our opening text here in, excuse me, I just saw James, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. We're going to stand in honor of the reading of Scripture here today. Amen? If you find it, would you stand in honor of the reading of this text of Scripture for us here? 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, we're going to read nine verses, and then we're going to go right to the Word of God today. I think we've already been in the Word of the Lord, don't you? Now, let's read this together, nine verses, and then that's all that necessarily that I, there's only two other verses I'm going to put on the screen here in a moment, but um, this is where I want to commence. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Heber Springs, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be to you, Paul writes. Paul's writing to you. Oh, I'm sorry. He wrote to the Corinthians, but he wrote through the Corinthians. Come on, somebody. Right? Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. That in everything ye, again King James English, plural, are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. Let's read that one again. That in everything you are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So that you come behind in no gift. Waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall confirm you unto the end. That you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll pause right there. So just very briefly, it seems as if Paul here, as we know, many of us, that he addresses spiritual gifts later in, the cha- in, the, in this particular book. 
here he commends the people of Corinth because God is working amongst them to a degree that he said, you don't come behind in no gift. God's doing great things among you. But notice this fifth verse. That's where we're extracting just a little bit for title today. That in everything you are enriched by him. Our pursuit is that our fellowship, this body, you personally, will be enriched by the grace of God. Revealed through Christ, manifested by the power of the Holy Spirit. Enriched by him that we will come behind in no gift. Come on somebody, amen. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I feel humbled to be here today. Grateful, sometimes intimidated. Today, Lord, I'm going to lean into, Father God, the work of the Holy Spirit in the heart and the life of, of, of this church family, but also in my own personal life of study and experience and also the studies of others. I know I recognize today, God, that I am entering into a field, Father, in some sense that wherein I have sown no labor, but we're going to, we're going to draw from their labor today, and we thank you for it. Bless the preaching of the word. It's already been mentioned. Let it come easy in this house today, God of heaven. In Jesus' mighty name and all of God's children said, amen and amen. And you can be seated. I appreciate so much your willingness to show honor to the reading of the word of God. Now, I want to say this as a quick lead in. If you're new to our fellowship, then we are a Pentecostal slash charismatic uh, fellowship, the Assemblies of God, and we are as a, not only as a denomination, but we are as a local church, which simply means that we believe in the continuation of the spiritual gifts and dynamics that we read about both in the book of Acts and also in 1 Corinthians and throughout the epistles where, where they are mentioned in particularly. With that said, I began to our church family on what's called Pentecost Sunday, 50 days approximately after Passover for 50 days approximately from Easter to for us that we would uh, begin to look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament church and also into how to, uh, to, to have some measure of stimulus in own, our own hearts and lives. And I, I, I commenced with just kind of focusing on that day of Pentecost from there. And then uh, the, the, the next week I, I, I kind of camped on spirit baptism, spirit baptism. But uh, today I want to talk more particularly about speaking in other tongues because the reality is is that when you mention the word Pentecostal or Pentecostalism or uh, charismatic the first thing that comes to the mind of an individual that hears about the type of church that you participate in your worship in is speaking in other tongues that's the thing that's now now tragically many associate that with all we do they think that all we do is sit around and speak in tongues all day Right, But that's not the case. Some think that that's the, our only point of emphasis. That's not the case. As was mentioned again from the platform, we preach the gospel. We preach Christ crucified. We preach the atoning blood of Jesus Christ as the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for your sins. We preach, we hope, the Assemblies of God used to be, called, be known as all the gospel was part of our theme. All the gospel. Preach all the counsel of God, including spirit baptism. Now, but it, it arrives at a place, though, as a church family, that these things are cyclic. We have to go back and be reminded. I've shared before, I'll go ahead, it's kind of impromptu, 
But in the 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of God, in number 10, it's the church and its mission. Now, I don't go around with the 16 fundamental truths in my back pocket. I don't have them tattooed on my arm if you pull it up here, uh, pull the sleeve up. I don't have 16 fundamental truths right there. But number 10 is the church and its mission. And the writers of that, uh, that, that, that believed that God was bringing this fellowship together was, but one of the reasons was to give continuing emphasis for the need for all believers to, notice the word, ardently seek forth the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then some of the reasons why are listed there. And so for me personally as a pastor, I've taken that personally along my journey of pastoring two churches for now 27 years. That we must give continuing. That, that doesn't mean every time we come together, that's the subject matter. But that means in the live stream of our church throughout the course of the year, there has to be opportunity and teaching along the way that encourages you to pursue what we call the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Right? Because we believe in it. It's altered our lives. Now, with that, though, again, speaking in other tongues, and I'm going to talk it because we believe, if you missed last week, it's the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues is the initial evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So you've got to put these messages together. You can listen to that on the podcast. But I, I've got four things that I've got to do today to help us in this journey. Number one, I'm going to do my very best to distinguish between the gift of tongues and initial evidence. I still have to do that. I won't go in great depth. I've done it with the class the latter two to three weeks. But it's a critical moment there when you're studying the scriptures. Because if you don't distinguish those two things, then you may get trapped in answering a question that Paul posed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in the negative sense. So I'll get there in just a moment. Number two, I'm going to give you quickly, I'm extracting some of these from sermons that I preach, just kind of pulling the heart out of them. Is there logic to speaking in or praying in tongues? Uh, and, and that is, can something that is unintelligible uh, still make sense? That's a fair question, isn't it? So number three, what are the benefits associated with speaking in other tongues on a private basis? I'll give you a few. I won't give you all of them today. And if someone else was teaching, they could probably add some that I might omit today. And lastly, number four, to conclude, if, if it is the will of God, why sometimes is there a yet? Yet. Remember that. We'll come to that in just a little while. So let me go in from my pastor's heart to yours just for a moment. I believe in this experience, but I also believe that experience has to be balanced with knowledge. Right? I, I'm not going to base my pursuit of faith entirely upon your experience alone. Now, experience is a great thing. I think Caleb said it two weeks ago. He said, the man with the experience is never at the mercy of the man with the argument. That's good, correct? However, if you're sharing with me... A, an experience that you believe that I should pursue in my life, I've got to validate that doctrinally from the Word of God. Let me give you an example. I mentioned last week that there are sometimes a little bit of, be careful with what word I choose here, oddities that have been known to emerge in Pentecostalism. And I said, let me just say this, I said that if you want to go to a church where they, about halfway through the sermon, underneath the altar or underneath the front pew, they pull a box out. And there are little holes for air to get in there. 
and the lid pops open, and out comes a copperhead or a rattlesnake. You won't typically find that happening at your local Church of Christ or at the Methodist Church. But in the Appalachian Mountains, you'll find a church where they're Shatakaya Mosian while they're holding a copperhead. Now, my path crossed with a copperhead this past week, nonetheless, as Sister Sherry in the chicken house sent a grandchild back to the house. Come, granddad, come quickly. There's a snake in the chicken house. And when I went in there, there was a copperhead coiled up in the corner. It wasn't a large one. I had two options available at that moment. I could pick it up and dance around, or I could take a garden hoe, and I could shot that guy Mosia as I chopped him to bits. And that was what I chose to do. So you can say, Pastor, it says in Matthew's gospel or Mark's gospel that, that um, they shall take up serpents. Well, I believe you better understand that in the context. In the context. So just because you got the experience of it, I'm not going to arbitrarily do it. Unless I can see it validated doctrinally. Are you all out there? So my heart to yours is, I'm going to read two verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's really all. If you choose to follow me, Lori, in the scriptures up on the screen, you can do that. But I'm just, I'm not going to go there per se. But in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And that's my, that's my cry for you. I, 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 want you to be, I want you to be a believer in, because not just because someone you know experienced it and told you, but because you went to the Word of God, you searched it out, you fleshed it out, you weighed it, you prayed over it, and you can validate it doctrinally. Because if you can't validate your doctrine spiritually, when somebody who doesn't believe in that doctrine comes along, they're going to take your experience right out of your heart. Because if that truth, listen, excuse me, that experience is not anchored in truth, right? You're, you're going to lose, you might lose that argument if that experience is not validated by the Word of God. Read it further, the third verse. Wherefore, listen what he says, I give you to understand. That's just that, that's all I need you to see. I give you to understand, right there. So Paul's desire is this. As he began to teach in this context of spiritual gifts, he exhorts the Corinthians that they have been enriched by Jesus. They're coming behind in no utterance. But he's saying, listen, ignorance cannot be an excuse for us. Right? That it's, but how do we correct ignorance? We correct ignorance by the word of God. We correct ignorance by knowledge. We correct it, uh, ignorance by studying. And so as a pastor, my prayer is for God to reveal to you by his spirit concerning the Holy Spirit. As it relates to the Word of God. Remember what Jesus said. He spoke of the Spirit of God coming. He spoke a lot about the Holy Spirit. But one of the key things that he reveals in his teaching is when the Spirit of God has come, he calls him the Spirit of truth. That's what Jesus said. The Spirit of truth. And he said he will guide you into all truth. So if we're just in this context of the third verse there in Corinthians, he said no man can say that Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Ghost. No man can say that, that, that he said if you've got the Spirit, you will not say Jesus is a curse. So what we can say is, if the Spirit of God is truly leading us into something, it's going to always be in harmony with the Word of God, right? It's never going to conflict with the Word. And so we, we want our doctrine to be validated by the Word. And my desire for you is this. 
I know that you may never become a theologian. You may not be able to sit in a room of extremely learned men and women and be able to really, really uh, defend the doctrine in such a way that you're going to the Greek language and the Hebrew language and the history of the church and all that. You may never be uh, able to sit in in that capacity. But I want you to be able to simply, number one, be able to extinguish the own, your own fears and doubts that come to your mind first. Because how many know the adversary will plant whispered doubt in your heart and mind related to an experience, right? If you can't validate it by the Word of God. And number two, the Bible says that we should be ready to give answer to the hope that lies within us about every part of our faith. I want to be able, if somebody comes to me and asks a question, I had a number of questions posed to me this morning, I want to be able to answer that, and I want you to be able to answer that to the best of your own ability at some measure. So with this, very quickly, uh, we need to pray. We've got to read, study, ask questions, consider other people's experience within the context and harmony of Scripture. Come on, somebody. Here's what Paul said in relation to the Holy Spirit when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. He said, quench not the Spirit. Come on, somebody. Amen. And doctrine, let me tell you, doctrine can quench the Spirit or it can aid the move of the Spirit. But doctrine can rob you of the vitality. When you quench the Spirit, you quench the flow of the Spirit. You've limited the flow of the Spirit of God in in the midst of the church. And then he said this, despise not prophesying. So, so we've, got to, we've got to believe that prophetic utterances, both in tongues and also uh, in known languages, should be a part of the local assembly, right? But then notice the last phrase. This is in 1 Thessalonians 5. He said, prove all things. How can you prove it if you don't know it, right? How can you validate if you haven't studied? And then he said this, hold fast to that which is good. Because I'm going to tell you, if you're in Pentecostalism long enough, there are going to be some things that you have to let go of. There are some things that you say, you know what? Some, it was part of the church. Somebody did it, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily validated doctrinally. And I, I've, I've searched it out, and, and i got to let go of it. And if I was living in the Appalachian Mountains, and I was a part of a church that lifted up serpents, I'd have to let go of that. Come on, somebody. Amen? So there's four things I'm going to drop in your heart today just real quickly. I believe it's important concerning the gift of tongues to be distinguished from the initial physical evidence. I spent last week developing the thought, is, there, is the gift of tongues that Paul is referencing primarily in 1 Corinthians 12, is that, listen to this, is that the same as what we call the initial physical evidence? And so, though this, that is a very heavy question that will require a lot more time to elaborate on that I can give you today. But I just want to commence right there just briefly because if I don't, if I don't, it's been my observation that that's the tipping point in a lot of people. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, towards the end of the chapter, Paul asks a question that an obvious answer of nay is associated with. Do all speak in tongues? The obvious answer is no. He doesn't answer it, but it's obvious that no. In that context then, it's easy then to look at that and say, well, if everybody doesn't receive the gift of tongues, then therefore it's not for me. I'll get another spiritual gift. That's true. You may get another spiritual gift. But when we speak of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we believe it to be evidenced by speaking in other tongues, but it is not the gift of tongues. All right. So here's the language that you'll find in a lot of the older Pentecostal writings. It's the same in essence, but it differs in purpose. 
It's the same in essence. It's going to sound the same when an individual says, Pastor Brown, I've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They come to the front of the church. Maybe it happens there. Maybe it doesn't. But at some point in time, they said, man, I was praying, and something began to bubble up on the inside of me, and I began to speak, and I spoke in tongues. And we would say that is your baptism in the Holy Spirit. That person may never exercise the gift of tongues in a public setting to edify the body. Let me try to share with you. Now, I can't go over it in all of its detail. At least I can plant that thought in your mind that will cause you to begin to study. Just really quickly. Now, there's a guitar on the stage. Shane, can I borrow your guitar for just a moment? Mm-hmm. Here we go. Now, is it plugged in? What y'all didn't know is I can play the guitar. Did y'all know that? Can, can, am I playing the guitar? Am I pl- it's a simple question, people. Come on, somebody. You're not going to hurt my feelings. Am I playing the guitar? But now, am I exercising a gift? Do you, have y'all noticed a noticeable absence of a gift? But the reality is, I can play the guitar. But I don't necessarily know that I need to play it for the edification of the body. Come on, somebody. Now, that's a good place to say amen, amen, right? So I know that's a little weak analogy, but maybe it's not because Paul uses analogy of a musical instrument in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12 when he said, if the pipe or the horn gives an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So in the context of receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit, all it's our belief all will speak in other tongues. But that speaking in other tongues typically then becomes for private devotion later, but then many or some will give the gift of tongues. So with that gift of tongues, the gift of tongues then must be accompanied by interpretation to edify the body, the body corporately. But there's personal edification from the person who then Praise in the spirit or plays his guitar alone by himself, for, for example. I'll get to that in just a moment when I get to uh, the benefits of speaking in other tongues. The point that I'm wanting you to see is this, is that I want you to begin to study the scriptures and realize that there is at least held but within the Pentecostal movement a distinction between the initial evidential tongues and the gift of tongues. And so Paul can write and say, do all speak with other tongues? No. But he can also say in 1 Corinthians 14, I would that you all spoke in tongues and not contradict himself, for he's saying it in the same epistle to the same people. So it's our belief that Paul's desire is for everybody to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit, evidenced by speaking in other tongues that you would then exercise in private usage. And from that corporate group, some would be chosen to be used in exercising the gift of tongues in a public setting. Does that make sense at all? At all. With that, that's all I can say about that today. The point I'm bringing that up, the reason why, and I'm trying to be very What's the right word today for a radical like myself? I'm not going to say I'm muted, but I'm trying to be just a little. Uh, I don't want to preach in fifth gear today. I'm trying to lower it down just a little bit to give you time to process it and think on it. Because there's a lot of people among us today that you can't just tell them these things. They, they're going to work this out. And you're my kind of people. right? People that say, listen, you know what? Oh, I'll just go ahead. and No, you need to study these things out for yourself. right? And get this down in your spirit. And grow in the knowledge. 
And so, again, I do believe that there is a difference. Now, you can commence that study on your own. So, number two, let me go real quickly. Is there a logic to speaking in other tongues, both in private in private utterance, because in private utterance, Paul said, when I speak in another tongue, he said, my mind is unfruitful. He even said that if you give thanks in tongues, which I'll get to in a little while, he said, he said that the hearers may not be, they may not be um, edified because they don't understand. So real quickly, here's what we believe about speaking in other tongues. We believe speaking in other tongues can be known languages, as you see in Acts chapter number 2. But we also believe that it doesn't have to be a known language to those that are present. It could be an unknown tongue to those that are present, but still be a known tongue to somewhere around the world. I'll get to that in just a moment of time. But I also believe that Paul's writing about something called the, uh, the tongues of angels. And what I mean by that is, is that it's not necessarily a known earthly language. Because so when I began to think about that, trying to do so with a logical mind, here's a verse of Scripture that really meant something to me. 1 Corinthians 14 and 10 says this, There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world. Listen to that. And none of them is without signification, King James English, or meaning. So let's take a step back. Paul is saying there are so many different dialects in the world, and not a single one of them doesn't have meaning. So think about that. If someone is speaking in a language that you don't understand, it's not your known, it's not your known natural language or dialect that you were brought up in, does that devalue or not validate that doctrine? I could walk into any, I only know one language, and that's English, and I don't know it real well. And so I could, so that means any other dialect, if I walk into that church, Anything that's said or done is going to be foreign to me. But that's, I'm not going to attempt to not, to, to, to not validate that as an authentic language. Obviously, it is. They're communicating. So I was thinking on that years ago. And I began to ask a question, trying to think logically. Well, what is language for just a moment? What is a language? It's spoken words in a known dialect, correct? Hmm? That's what language is. Well, then what is a word? A word is a sound that has meaning, spoken or written. So it's a sound that you make through the vocal cords that has meaning, either spoken or written. Did you know there are approximately, on planet Earth right now, 7,000 known dialects? 7,000. We're going to take English for just a moment. In English, did you know there are over 1 million words in the English language, going back to the old English? <laughs> and you may think that you're an English scholar here today, but I kind of doubt... If you were to go back and study, did you know that the average person knows between 20,000 and 30,000 English words that's active in your vocabulary? Are you out there? No. So that means you're speaking English, but you don't know 970,000 English words. That if you heard those today, they'd be foreign to you. I can, that's how come some of you struggle with my King James Bible up here. Because I come to lasciviousness, right, or propitiation. And, and you're saying, somebody's got to Google search that for me. I need an interpretation. Pastor Brown is speaking in tongues up there. And I'm just reading the old English at the time that the King James was translated. So listen, real quickly, just because there are 970,000 English words that are unknown to you, but they're known to somebody, they're known to history for sure, they're known to God, can I say it? They're known to God. 
So languages are always evolving. New discoveries, new words are being added. Can you imagine 100 years ago if you said iPhone, computer, gigabyte, megabyte, McDonald's? Come on, somebody, right? If those words were not even in the English language 100 years ago, but as cultures evolve, new words are added. And so real quickly, here's what I want to tell you for just a moment. Let me tell you a little bit, not about you, but about God. God knows all. (laughs) Y'all missed a great place to say amen. And here's what he knows about you. He knows the expression of your heart. And you said, Pastor Brown, validate that for just a moment. Psalm 44 and verse 21 says this. God knows the secrets of your heart. Psalm 139 verse 2 says this. He knows your thoughts afar off. Let's go one farther. Verse 4 of the same psalm says this. There is not a word in your tongue, but lo, O Lord, you know it all together. So let's go back to my logical for just my logic for a moment. What is a word? But a word is an expression of the intent of the heart. So just for a moment of time, if I'm saying, is there any validation to something that is unintelligible to others? Listen, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And God knows my thoughts. And so just for a moment of time, God is not confused when I'm speaking something other than English. God does not need an interpreter. God does not need somebody to go Google search and put that in babble.com and try to give, me a tra- give him a translation because he cannot understand. God knows the yearning of your heart before him. And our belief is the Spirit of God has access at any moment when you begin to pray. He has all 7,000 dialects and he has the tongues of angels as well. And he will join that to your spirit and you can speak out words that are unintelligible to you but they're expressing the cry of the spirit at the moment that you release them and I believe I believe in my heart of hearts that God hears and he knows come on somebody so the spirit can use any known language my belief parts of multiple dialects or the tongues of angels to pray through you the will of God I'll get there in just a moment of time let me give you an example so pastor well then but are tongues known dialects they can be, correct? They can be. I want to give you an excerpt for something real quickly from an experience. Now, again, I told you before, you Google search this, you're going to, you, you better be careful for what you're going to find because you're going to find a lot of validation to the doctrine I'm teaching. But you're also going to find a lot of contradictory information. And you better be prepared for it. So, actually, I did that. I, I, I typed in glossolalia uh, as, as late as this morning just, just to see some of the responses and when the negative responses that came up actually helped validate the doctrine that I'm preaching here today in me but it may not in you so you got to be very very careful but at the same time prove all things right prove all things so I have a book here real quickly it's original printing was 1926 I believe it was 1926 I think was original uh, printing and 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 uh, yes it was and this was actually from 1946 so it's almost a hundred years old and it's called with signs following and it's kind of a cumulative uh, accounts of a lot of outbreaks of Pentecostalism in the early part of the 20th century and so did y'all know this that that with the gospel so it, it, missionaries used to be able to go to China did y'all know that before communism took over so but before communism took over. Uh, Pentecostals evangelizing had made it to China. And, and, and even today, did you know that they believe that there are over 100 million Chinese believers in Christ? 
And did you know over 80 million of them are Pentecostal? Come on, somebody. It's a terrible amen for such an impacting statement. So here's a, here's a little bit of a record of the outpouring in China going back to 1914. Let's listen just real quickly, just a little bit. Writing of a convention in 1914, missionary Miss Blanche Appleby states, conviction and confession of sin were evident. She says a little Bible woman who had no knowledge of English with, with face radiant began singing in clear English. And so the American missionary, Miss Blanche Appleby, was there and was able to record it. Here's what she began to sing. She began to say, the angels are surrounding me. She began to sing out in clear English. Miss Appleby writes, there is no sound in the Chinese language equal to the R sound, the letter R. But this Chinese woman was able to say the R sound as she was speaking as the Spirit of God gave her utterance. Writing of some of the special meetings at Lopau, Miss Appleby states, on the third night an altar call was given and many responded. Among them, Young Taiku, and that is not a dish, that's a lady. Young Taiku is a blind Bible woman. She's, a, she's blind, but after praying a short time, she was filled with the Spirit. She knew nothing of the English language, but the Holy Spirit soon began to speak through her in English, and the first word was worship. And while prostrate on the floor in the Spirit, the Spirit of God spoke this word through her perhaps a score of times. Other words followed in English. Among them were his, H-I-S, then the word rest, and the expressions, uh, then the words father, daughter, and Jesus Christ. Close by her at the altar was another blind sister. She turned to her and began to say these two words in English, fill her. Then after she repeated the word love, and then she spoke in French, giving the French word for rejoice, and Miss Schultz, one of the missionaries present, understood French. And I'm going to stop right there, but the account goes on that she experienced on the Chinese mainland when God was outpouring his Holy Spirit. So with that, what am I saying all that to you? Is there a logic? Sometimes it's a known language. And sometimes it's bits and pieces, and sometimes it can be called the tongues of angels, and you might try to translate it into some type of known language, and it is not a, a known language, but if it's the cry of the Spirit of God, the God that is in heaven hears your cry, and you have to be confident in that, right? And I'm going to go to number three. The fourth one is very, very, very simple. Number three today, what are the benefits then? Pastor Brown, why do you encourage people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and then have what we call the prayer language? That's the language that's em emerged in identifying spirit baptism in the Pentecostal church. We have the, we have the gift of tongues, but then we have the evidential tongues, and then we simply typically use the term, it's the prayer language. Why is it? And, and I wrote this myself enough. Paul referencing praying in the Spirit changed the dynamic because there are a lot of people that look back at Acts chapter 2 and say, well, that was known languages. We do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. But when Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians, he talks about prayer. He said, when I pray in the Spirit. He said, I'll pray in the Spirit and I'll pray in my understanding. So certainly then in that moment of time, why would Paul then need to speak a language that it was unknown to him and foreign to him when he's communing with God? So he's praying in the Spirit, and he's trusting that the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit is enabling him to pray in tongues, and that his tongues are validated before God and in the presence of God. Come on, right? So are there benefits? Absolutely there are benefits. Come on now, church family. I need a better amen than that. There are benefits to the private devotional usage of tongues. 
I'm going to drop a few of them in your spirit, and then I'm going to close here in just a moment of time. Number one would be personal edification. Not in a selfish way, not in it's all about me, 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 but when you're praying, not only are you praying to intercede for God to do something in the lives of others, but you're also praying that you can grow in faith. The word edify means to be built up. Paul uses the word edify in 1 Corinthians 14 and 4. When he spoke of people praying in the Spirit, he says speaking in tongues. He said, if you, if you speak in tongues, you edify yourself. Personal edification is a good thing. Why, why, why is Sister Sherry and I going out in our little workout room to try to, uh, to, to, try to work out at, in, in our 50s? It's because we want to try to be in better shape. To age a little more gracefully. Come on, somebody. So nobody finds fault with us for trying to have personal edification, come on, of trying to be a little bit more toned or maybe then move into affecting our diet. Nobody judges that, but then you get over in the realm of the Spirit and everybody's got to judge you for it. So I'm telling you, there's a reason why I get alone and pray to God in tongues is because everything around me in this world will suck the very life of God right away from me. And I'll have no joy, no peace, no grace working in my life. And sometimes I can't even think about what's the right thing to pray about. I'm getting ahead of myself. But when I begin to pray in the Spirit, the life of God begins to rise up on the inside of me. And I get built up in my most holy faith. I can guarantee you there have been many times I've gone to prayer. I've gone in like this. And I come out like this, glory to God. Because in the process, the Spirit of God lifted me and I thank God for it number two uh, Paul said in the 16th and the 17th verse of chapter 14 of 1st Corinthians that did you know you can give thanks to God in tongues that the spirit of God I just want you to think about that just that you have the ability to be able to speak to God and give him thanks how many know God is worthy of all praise and adoration to glorify his holy name Number three, I only jotted down seven. I could have jotted down 20, but I've just dropped seven just real quickly. Number three, of the benefits, I'm speaking the mysteries of God. Now, let, let, let me validate that one for a moment. The second verse of 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says this, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaks not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit, or however, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. So when you're praying in tongues, you are speaking. The, the Amplified Bible, I believe, says that he speaks things that have been previously hidden. The wisdom, the mysteries of God are then made known. Well, what value does that have? Go back to the first one where it says you're built up. Well, what builds the faith of a believer? The Word. The word, come on, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is my personal belief when I pray in the spirit and I speak the mysteries of God that many times I'm speaking forth the word of God. So it's going up out of my spirit, joined by the Holy Spirit, but then there is a reciprocation of it. So my spiritual ears then hear it and I'm hearing the word of God, the wonderful works of God, the mysteries of God, and it builds my spirit. And you say, Pastor Brown, what about your natural mind? Well, the natural mind's got to be renewed. There's a lot of different things that you do. I don't speak in tongues to renew my natural mind. Paul said, when I speak in tongues, my mind is unfruitful. A lot of people look down upon that. But you know what? I've got so much junk that's put in my mind at times. I'm glad to be able to kind of move away from my thoughts. 
and to say, I'm going to trust the invisible power of the Holy Spirit. And you say, Pastor Ryan, how comes that important? In Romans 8 and verse number 26, I'm going to read it real quickly. This is number 4. There's only 7, and then I'm going to close. But I want you to hear this verse. It, some say he's not talking about the Spirit, the baptism, but I think he is. In the 26th verse of the 8th chapter, here's what Paul writes. He said, the Spirit will help your infirmities. For what infirmity or weaknesses. For you don't know what you should pray for as you should. But the Spirit Himself, the Spirit Himself will make intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Some believe the word uttered there in the original language could be translated or understood. Likewise, the Spirit will help your infirmities. He's joined to your spirit. And when you pray in the Spirit, the Spirit which searches all things, the heart and the mind of God will begin to pray. How many of you know there's some things in your life that you don't even know what the will of God is? There are sometimes some situations in your life that are so heavy, so weighed upon your shoulders that if you prayed in your own understanding, you would pray your will to be done rather than the Father's will. But when you yield to the Holy Spirit who's on the inside of you, you can rest confidently in the promise that the Spirit, which is searching all things, the perfect will of God, and is praying the perfect will of God to the Father. And you can walk away from that moment of intercession, that moment of travail, and you can be confident that the will of God was prayed through you in that moment. That's a great benefit, come on somebody, of praying in this. Now are you seeing why we believe in it so much and why we encourage you to pursue it? Number five, when my mind is instructed, or excuse me, when my mind is distracted, I can still pray quietly to God. I mean, that's a good thing. I mean, you forklift driver at work at the factory, and you're just, shut up, just driving along, right? Everything blaring music around you, a bunch of heathens on the work floor. But you're just sitting there praying quietly to God in tongues. Yeah, come on, somebody. Interceding, building up your most holy faith, praying the will of God. So when my mind is distracted, I can still pray quietly to God. That's a beautiful thing. It's a gift of God. Number six, when you begin to pray in the Spirit, you'll become more yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit. You just do. You just become more yielded to it. You develop. You grow in it. There is a growth, right? There is a growth. You just become more yielded to the work of the Holy Spirit. You become more conscious of his giftings. Come on, when the river flows, and then you can move into prophecy, right? You can begin to prophesy. It was part of our subject and questions today in class, and you can begin to prophesy. And lastly, just of the, I, I had 12 that I chose to, and I extracted down for sake of time to seven. Often my prayer in tongues is followed by a prayer in my known language that I often believe God is answering and giving me, if you will, the interpretation of what I just got through praying in tongues, right? If, if I need it, if the Lord in his sovereign grace says, hey, I want you to know that this is what you're praying about. And I don't know if he talks that way. Hey, Lee, I want you to know that. But in my spirit, when I pray, I feel confident at times that, wait a minute, the spirit of God just prayed this through me in my tongues. And now Lord, the Lord is letting me know that as I pray that in my, no, my native language. Are you out there? God uses all, I believe. And lastly today, concerning the baptism in the Holy Spirit, evidential tongues, my prayer is, is that you don't come behind in any gift. And I want you to see that it, you can be enriched in your Christian experience by Him. You can, it will enrich I've often taught it this way, and I'm definitely on the last closing moment, so I know I preached last week, I preached a long time, one hour and seven minutes, who's counting, I was, I checked the clock, 
I know that's too long on a Sunday morning, but the subject matter is so great. It's so necessary. If I don't, who will? Right? Where are you going to go for your answers? Google? Right? I'm going to say this. Are you going to go up to the denominational leader who's never spoken in other tongues to bring you clarity about speaking in tongues? How about you ask somebody who's got the experience coupled with the knowledge to help you, to help you. So as a pastor, I feel compelled to do this, but I also feel a little bit intimidated. I'm just going to be honest. Now, I want to say this. I believe with all of my heart that it's God's will for you to receive of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I do. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. A verse of Scripture that I think can help you along the way in your journey is verses or verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 14. I'll just read it real quickly. Paul said, I will pray in the Spirit, and I will pray in my understanding. Why don't you just think about that? Many times we think the Holy Spirit is going to come over us and bubble up within us, and he's going to move our vocal cords. He's going to cause us to speak air through those vocal cords, and then he's going to move our tongue. Are you out there today? That's not how it happens, right? It's just simply an unction in here, and you have to will to do it. If you don't will to do it, you won't do it. That's, come on, let me say it one more time. If you don't will to do it, you won't do it, right? And so you have to yield your will. I've taught this. I'm not going to speak in tongues on the platform to impress anybody here today. I'm not going to do all that. But I believe that once you learn this and once it becomes a part of who you are, you can pray in your understanding and you can pray in tongues like turning on the hot and the cold water at the sink. I don't have to, I don't have to come up to the sink and go like this. And I'm not trying to take away emotionalism. I'm just saying that I, you don't need emotionalism at that Emotionalism is a part of it. Sometimes you get very emotional and you shout and you cry and you laugh and you do all those things. But when I come up to, the, to, to, to wash my hands in the sink, I have hot water and cold water. Cold water on the right, hot water on the left. I just, I think I wash my, I think I brush my teeth in cold water. But when I wash my hands, I'll turn. So you will to do it. You come to prayer before God, I'll pray in my known language. Lord, I pray for first assembly of God. Lord God, in Jesus' name, I pray that every man, woman, boy, and girl as a part of our fellowship will be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, God. You will baptize them fresh and new, and you will send that spirit-filled Pentecostal revival to first assembly of God. And all the people said, amen, but I could just as quickly and easily, and I'm not going to because I'm not trying to exploit this gift today, I could just as easily pray in the Spirit. I will, do, I will do it. Well, here's something for you. You will too. Come on, somebody. So as I close today, I have to be honest with you that I've struggled lately, not from the doctrine, but from people's response. Over the latter couple of years, I've struggled just a little bit because, man, you preach your heart out. I go back and watch the messages, and I grade myself and say, man, that's pretty good teaching right there for a, uh, that guy. I'm grading myself. The teaching is right. I believe the teaching is right. But the response sometimes is frustrating. And when you come to that moment, I'm going to just be human here in front of you. You get disappointed. And sometimes when you're disappointed, you find yourself kind of backing away. So listen to this. Disappoint frustration can lead to disappointment. And here's the kicker, the danger disappointment can lead to doubt and that's where I've been fluctuating fighting things off in the spirit 
and saying, God, that's why I've been going back and studying this out, not for the class, but for me to revalidate what I already believe. Come on, somebody. And I today am just as convinced today the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is that you'll speak in other tongues. And then you can pray in tongues privately, and we should pursue it. Now, that's my experience. But what about dealing with disappointment in the church family? Because I know there are people that have sought and not received. So i got to speak to you real quickly. I had something this week that really bothered me. I'm going to just be honest. I struggled. Sister Sherry knows. She was trying to be the encourager and not let me pout. But I, pouting had fallen upon me. Because when you have a farm, like we do, a small farm, and you have cattle, you need rain to produce grass. And so, for all those years, I never kept up with rain and rain totals and all that. But now, I'm like, we're watching the rain gauge. We're praying as soon as a cloud comes up. You're like, whatever it takes. Well, the latter couple, this past week, it was on its way. It was on its way. We're watching the radar. I'm watching the radar right there. It is. Monday afternoon, Sherry and I finished up and sat on the, we finished up and we sat down and we're, I said, we're going to sit right here and we're going to watch it rain. And it was coming from the east this time, which is kind of a little bit different. And so it was over Shane. Shane's my neighbor about four miles down. And there's this dark cloud and I know it is throwing down and he sends me a video he said it's raining cats and dogs over here and I watched that cloud get right to highway 5 and then there it went through a few outer sprinkles on us now I know y'all think this is weird but I'm telling you it doesn't take much I'm wrestling these things out sometimes you overlap spiritual things and physical things so I'm praying about these things and then and then it happened again this week. And I took a picture. I took a picture of the radar because there was red all around and it made like a crescent. And unfortunately, I was in the middle. And I first was trying to blame Sister Sherry. Woman, what hast thou done? What hast thou done? Tell me. Let's be honest. But I'll be honest, this is the way the carnal mind works. Then you start thinking, it's God looking down upon me and he's just reproving me here he's just withholding i mean you know that's pride's what that is right that that god is up there you know in that context so so with that but still i'm being honest i was really and yesterday it happened all over again that rain came everybody saw that big cloud and all that that came for whatever reason it came to 1820 little rock road and dropped us a few sprinkles and moved on now why would i even mention that because i've watched people in the church Pray, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. And then you hear about somebody else. You hear about somebody else. And you read from a book where a, a blind Chinese lady is, can't even, in her own native dialect, can't even speak R. And she's speaking perfect English as the Spirit of God comes over and, and your heart sinks. I understand. But an encouragement to you today. Knock, and it shall be open. Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. God is sovereign. 
Many of the experiences that you read about of people that had powerful baptisms in the Spirit, you're only reading about when it happened. You may have not been there for the months or even years that they longed and waited for. I'm going to be honest. I don't understand why. I don't know why. Some immediately hear about it and shatakai mosia, it's on. And others that are so sincere and they long and they pray and they just don't get the release. I don't know. But I will say this. I don't want the doubt coming into your mind that it's not for you. It is the will of God in my personal belief. Paul said, I would that you all spoke with tongues. And that's my prayer for you and for us. Don't get distracted. Don't get disappointed. If you have been, shake it off. You know what? I finally just said, Lord God, it's going to rain at 1820. Eventually, the cloud's going to land on me. Right? Come on, somebody. Eventually, guess what? Eventually, the cloud's going to land on you. I thank God today. Paul, as I conclude, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Before he addressed spiritual gifts, he said, you're enriched by him in all things. Any spiritual manifestation or gift that comes to you comes because Jesus gave it to you. The church didn't give it to you. I can't give it to you. If I could, if I had it, I would, if I could, I would give it to you. It's got to come from him, right? So today, my encouragement is this to you. Don't be ignorant, brethren and sisters. Don't be ignorant. Study, read, pray, and pursue. And we're going to trust God to do wonderful things. Come on, somebody. Amen. Let's, let's do something. Would you all stand up with me today, Father? I'm, I'm already in prayer. I'm already went to Father. And I, I'm just going to ask you to do something with me. I just feel like we should. I just want to just ask you to do. I want to ask you to come forward. And if, if you all want to come back on the, the platform or at least somebody and play for just a moment of time, let's just, for just a moment, for just a moment. I, I, know, it's, I know it's Sunday morning. I know there's... Ben, I didn't bring my watch up here. I know, I know all those things. I know last week we brought people and we prayed. We laid hands on people. But there's still just something about a fellowship that comes together and just says, Lord, would you just work among us? And I want to ask you if you'll do that because I'm going to pray a prayer with you in just a moment. And then we'll just pray. We'll wait on the Lord, whatever. If it's, if it, it's, he's sovereign. Come on. Amen. He's sovereign. I want to stay on the platform for just a moment. I want to go back to the title. You're enriched by him in all things. And you come behind in no gift, in all utterance and in all knowledge. He said, you are enriched by him in all things and in all utterance and in all knowledge. I've helped with the knowledge part at least a little bit, fragmented as it is. But it's going to help you to, if you say, Pastor, I'm a little bit ignorant of these things. Well, today you've got some doctrine that's going to help you to overcome that lack of knowledge. But I just want you to see. I just got this is what's been in my spirit. And as a pastor, the thing that I want to give you is what's in my spirit. He said, You're enriched by him. By him. Not me. Not Doyle Jones when he comes. Not the assemblies of God. Not the heritage of faith. Not our 16 fundamental truths. It's got to be Jesus. 
It's got to be Jesus. He's the one. He's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. He's the one that fills you. If you've ever had the hands laid on you and you've prayed and then you've, you say, Pastor, what do I do? Well, you've done your part. You just keep seeking. That passage of Scripture, Jesus said, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that will ask Him? Church family, would you take a few moments just right where you're at? Pray individually. Pray corporately. Pray for God. Pray for the Lord to just do His wonderful works of grace among us. That we will come behind in no gift, in all utterance, in all knowledge. Come on, church family, add your voice with mine, if you would, for just a moment. Add your voice. Spirit of the Lord. Spirit of the Lord. Spirit of God. Father, we just need you to fill us unto overflowing. We just need you, O oh God, to fill us unto overflowing. God, I need, I just pray, Lord, for the people that I prayed for last week that weren't filled with the Spirit but long for it. God, would you fill them unto overflowing with the power of your Holy Spirit, God. The people that didn't come forward because they've been disappointed in the past. They went forward. The evangelist prayed for them. The pastor prayed for them. Others prayed for them. And, and God, I know they've dealt with disappointment like I have, Father. I just pray over them today. I move past all that disappointment. And God, today's a new day. God, would you fill them unto overflowing with the power of your Holy Spirit. Spirit of the Lord today, God. Spirit of God, we stir up these things, Lord, in our heart. We stir up the Spirit of God. We stir up the gifts and the callings of God, the divine unctions, endowments, God. In the name of Jesus, Lord, by your Spirit. God, we worship you today. We worship you. Come on, church family. I just want to encourage you. We pray. We pray. We pray, Lord God. We pray. We pray. We pray. God, we wait. We pray. Come on, we wait. We pray. We wait. We pray. Lord Jesus, we look to you today, God. God, to fill us with your presence. Fill us with your Holy Spirit today, God. Fill us unto overflowing divine unction. Let us come behind in no gift. In all utterance. In all utterance, God. There are people under the sound of my voice. They need the utterance. They need the prayer language. They need the fullness of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, God. And I just pray over them today. Father, if my faith and my prayer has any merit, I just add it to theirs, God. I would dare say that every person under the sound of my voice, God, I've laid hands on at some point in time, and I've prayed, and I've said, oh, Lord, God, would you feel them? God, I, I pray that we are not disappointed, we're not discouraged, and we definitely don't doubt. I pray that we become persistent. We pursue after you. We're not satisfied until we receive of your Holy Spirit today, God, in the name of Jesus, God. But I